Hello and welcome to Siwan's Radio. You're listening to Open Source Lisbon's podcast where you can find talks of prestigious speakers from the biggest open source event in Portugal. Today's episode will be about how your organization needs an OSPO or be ready to fail. A talk by José Manrique, the CEO of Bitergia. Well, thank you very much, organization. Thank you, Eduardo, for the nice keynote opening, because actually that saved, I think, some minutes on my presentation. Because let's see if I understand these buttons. I think this just you already know this quote that software is eating the the world, and this is I think is from 15 years ago, something like that. So we're all these people talking about okay, companies are becoming a software company, and actually. One of the things I, that realized me this movement was, I think, last was four years ago, I was in a conference where one of the biggest banks in the United States was saying, okay, we are one of the biggest banks here in the United States. We have an IT uh, team that is one of the biggest in the country. We are doing all of this stuff, technology. One year later, the conference, they started saying, we are an IT company that provides banking services. And that means that they have changed the culture of the company itself. Basically, we understand that we are not anymore a bank. We are not a traditional bank. We are an IT company providing some, some services. And this is, well, I love surfing, so I would put some things like that always on the screen. But this wave is coming, and people have been see that coming for a while. And OK, you can see, OK, I, I'm not going to change my company that fast. But the thing is, this is not only one wave. Because digital transformation, I think, was a buzzword like five years ago. Then become big data, then become artificial intelligence. Now we are talking about quantum computing. So basically, each year we have a new digital thing we need to face with. And one of the features there is basically, I need to practice more with this. Okay. Is that basically it's not only software itself, it's basically open source is eating the software world, basically. People are taking source from outside the company because they don't have even the means to develop their money themselves. So basically, and this is IDC saying that by 2022, most of the code in your company is not being developed by your company. So you need to control that. You need to manage that because, okay, your company, your business depend on that. Okay, so what's, what's, what's going on typically on, on companies? Basically, They have this inbound process that they start acquiring open source. I mean, acquiring or consuming because they are buying or contracting companies doing open source because some developers in the company say, oh, this nice library is nice for us, so let's use it. I don't mind about the license. I don't mind about the vulnerabilities. So this kind of code starts to enter in your company. That's one of the first things that start to happen. Next, some companies start to realize, oh, we need to impact in the market because As Eduardo said, talent retention is becoming critical, so we need to attract talent. So we contribute to open source projects to say, hey, I'm one of the biggest contributors in open source. And you know a big company that used to claim that open source is a cancer, saying nowadays that we are the biggest contributor. Okay? And they are releasing even new open source projects. They are releasing source code from inside and say, oh, this is open source. And probably they can some have some issues with IP, with licensing, with vulnerabilities again, and, and stuff like that. And in the middle of all of this, companies need to learn how to manage this relationship not only with their own things, but with the communities out there or the organization out there, the ecosystem. And so they set up this idea of why not having a 
office in my company that is a small organization just dealing with all of this. To give you an example, for example, in Siemens, in Germany, they have 50 people managing all this stuff. How they are complying with licensing, how they are managing with open source projects, because that's key for them. And I will show some examples later. So basically, they are balancing all this stuff and, OK, let's make things work and don't break anything in my company. Because there are several pain points, well, some tasks they need to deal with. For example, when they're about talking about consuming open source, basically, they need to deal with things like, where's the license compliance here? Because probably you are taking some code that is not well aligned with your licensing agreement. Or for example, you are taking code that no one is maintaining. OK, because it's nice, it fills my features, then I put in production, and then, oh, I, I see an issue. And I submit an issue to the upstream project, and no one is going to fix that. Oh, you haven't looked at the health, of the, the health of the project? You don't know who is contributing to it? Or, oh, sorry. And then you have some, probably some security things that you need to test, you need to certify. And of course, one of the things when we are talking about consuming open source is it would be nice to understand who is behind this project, because at some point, I will need to hire those people, at, probably, or, or is good a way to have the best ones in the market available just in my company, because I want my company to be the best one in the market, right? But when we are doing contributing to open source, we need other things to manage. Like, for example, what's my leadership? Companies are very interested in showing the leadership they are doing when they are contributing to open source. For example, Samsung, I think it was some years ago, uh, 10 years ago, I started to contribute to the WebKit project. I don't know, you know WebKit is the web render that used to be developed mainly by Google and Apple. So basically, they want to contribute there. And basically, the code review process means that one, from one company can review the code from another company. So imagine a third party entering there, a competitor of you, putting code that make, make, mainly going to make their products to work better in the future. So one way you have a strategic point of view as a company is, OK, this, review co this code is going to be reviewed later. I'm going to review my company code first. So they run some analysis because they want to lead that project. They want to make the projects work for their own uh, means and aims. Other things they need to understand on is, is about, of course, I, I am releasing something that I shouldn't be releasing because it's some IP in, in place. And of course, the other thing that they are dealing and is becoming more and more useful. Once you start contributing to open source projects, people start to realize, oh, this project is not is maintained for this company, so that company could up hire me. So it's a way to move from my company to other things. And I can show you some examples about companies like Red Hat or Mozilla Foundation dealing with, OK, people can move from other companies. Because if I'm contributing to Kubernetes, for example, some engineers, nice engineers in my company, could start to move to Google. As a Red Hat or IBM company, I wouldn't like that, because those are my talent people. And of course, you're releasing your own open source things. You need to manage things like engagement. You can release things. And I, I'm sure you have seen in the, in the past for a while like, these things. Oh, put that in GitHub. It's going to be open source. It's, it's really. We are doing open source. And nobody's contributing to that. That's not open source. It's the same thing that happening in your own drawer at, at home, right? So you need to engage with communities. You need to engage with other companies. You need to engage with an ecosystem that helps, uh, gets healthy in the market. You need to grow those projects, because those projects are strategically for you. I mean, if you are releasing something because it's nice to have these buzzwords, OK, nice for you. But at some point, you, you, one of the strategies is I need this project to grow. I need this project to improve, because it's one of my key pieces in the platform. So OK, I need that to to come. Again, leadership is important here, because I want the project to go where I want to go. And this is something you need 
I always say in my talks, once you release something as an open source project, it's not your project anymore. It's community-driven project. If you are a company saying this project is going to work like this and only like this, it's not free. You are releasing the freedom part of the, of the work here. So basically, you need to manage that relation with the community to say, OK, at some point, it's going to where I want that to, to go. Okay? And of course, it's also key for companies to attract talent. And again, here is, OK, if we are doing this, and there are some studies from, for example, Harvard Business uh, Unit, uh, Harvard Business School, they were saying that people that use, is used to play with a open source technology, and then that open source technology is put in place in the company, is 100% more efficiency working in the company than anyone else, that one, someone that has never touched the thing. So let's put things in public, because this is my company IT infrastructure, so I need people that is already ready to play with this. So how to do this? Because each company embed their own rules. So OK, let's put that in place. And I would like to mention at least two open source, pro open source communities that are quite interesting for this sector. One is the To Do Group. I don't know how many of you know about To Do Group. OK, Horn, I know you know about To Do Group. <laughs> Todo Group is one project uh, in, in, started by the Linux Foundation, I think, five, six years ago. It's about exactly that, how I set up an open source program office, an OSPO, in my company. And basically there you see people like Comcast, GitHub, Microsoft, Siemens, Bosch, big players in the, in the sector, in any sector, actually. There's nothing only related with technology, because we know that everything is going to be technology at some point. But it's, it's a new way to, OK, how I manage these things that we are talking about communities. So they have some internal documentation, oh, sorry, some open source documentation that they call the guides. So about how to set up things, how to measure the success of your open source program office. What's this? The nice discussion lately has been about, for example, what's the ideal size of, of my program office? I mean, the, the office, how many people do I need? And one of the maths that have been done is for each 1,000 developers, you need one person in the, in the open source program office because you need to deal with a lot of things. There are some tools they are published to check licensing, vulnerabilities, and stuff like that. And the other community I would like to mention that is the one I am most, mostly involved is the chaos community. And the name is so nice, but it's not related with that chaos, or, or yes. It's about community health analytics for open source software. Chaos. This is a two years old initiative by the Linux Foundation also. And we are in Viterja, one of the main contributors here. Basically, the here is defining, it's about two main parts. Defining metrics in the sense, OK, which are the metrics I need to look at when we are talking about the health of a project, the health of a community, the environment, the ecosystem, and stuff like that. And also tools, free open source tools to measure all that. So basically, there are two groups, the software and the metrics definition committee. You can imagine the metrics committee discussion every day, OK, what's a commit, what's the number of commits, how to measure things like that. But it's very interesting and very boring sometimes. But at least it's, it's, it's moving forward. So I would like also to present a use case that has worked with and is related with the two of these projects. So basically, it's a good fit for this. It's Uber open source. So you know, Uber, what's the business model of Uber? I mean, what Uber provides as a service is nothing related with, they don't provide an application. They don't provide, OK, they, they use a app, mobile app. They use a lot of IT, but the business is driving people from point A to point B and making it in an efficient way, 
easy, cheapy, whatever you decide. And we can play a lot of things about, the, say a lot of things about the ethics and stuff like that, but the main business is not related with technology at some point. It's about, okay, we use technology. And they have an open source program office of, the first time we talked with them was about two people, now they are four. So they have double the size of the program office. And this is the typical vanity metrics that people are using when they are talking about their contributions to open source. We have like more than three, 350 uh, repositories in GitHub. In the last two years, that means that they have released a new open source project each two days. Imagine about that. They have like more than 2,000 contributors worldwide from outside the company. They have a lot of stars. I don't know. People love stars. I don't know why. They have very well-known five projects. They are part of the two group, and two of them are, have been awarded as an open source project. So very nice vanity thing. Oh, this is us. By a royal bird saying things. But they have some goals, and this is a thing that is important. Each company will, should have, or at least has goals for doing open source at some point. There should be people that is doing this because we need to attract talent. There are others because they want to show how big they are in the IT ecosystem. They have these five goals. Basically, they want to have more collaboration, also internally, but also with other companies. They, have to, they want to attract talent. Thank you, Eduardo, for the mentions before about that. They want to gain influence, because if you are finishing your career and you know something about React, because nobody knows about React, so it's about which company I should apply. And basically, people is going to say, oh, this Uber people is doing this stuff, so I'm going to apply here because I have some knowledge. If you're doing anything about open source, if you're doing that, nobody will know about you. You need a lot of marketing. You need a lot of things. And they are using the communities to do this in a more efficient way, I would say. They want to give back because they are using open source a lot. So they want to give back to the community, to the ecosystem, because they know that if we build open source ecosystem, we are going to build also business ecosystem on top of that. They are going to take advantage of that. And of course, they want to foster the company participation in open source uh, projects. So OK, they have some nice goals. So basically, we, we talked with them, and they said they, wanted, they want to do analytics because the other thing about open source that is very nice is that everything is out there. So basically, you can go there, not only looking at the code. When we were talking before about transparency and the code is auditable, you can audit how the code is being developed. You can look at where people are contributing, how they are interacting one with each other. It's not only about counting the number of commits or counting the number of stars. Those are, I call those the log-hanging fruits of metrics and vanity things and stuff like that. So basically, and the other thing is, if you don't have data, and this is not my quote, but this is not also, it's not also my, my quote. This is from Jacob from the developer team. But if you don't have data, you are just a person without an opinion. I'm not saying that having an opinion is good or bad. It's, it's good to have opinions. But if you have data to strengthen to strength that, that opinion, if you need to discuss with your manager why we are doing open source, because that was one of the questions for Uber people, is why we are doing open source, why we are releasing these things that nobody is contributing to it. OK, I need to explain again why it's so beneficial to have open source. Yeah, you need to do that. And you need to do that with data. So they went to the Chaos community and said, OK, we have this, these nice tools to analyze things. And one of the key things that we discussed with them is having tools. How many of you here would you describe yourself as a technical person? Please, raise your hand. OK. Thank you. So it's, it's a mixture. That's good. But if you talk with technicians about this, the typical thing is, oh, I can do this by myself. It's going to GitHub, use the API, counting things, and 
I can do it. I don't need to go to any open source tool to do this. And this is a typical not invented here syndrome, I will say. So it basically, it's not about the tool. It's how you use the tool to do the things. And that's that circle there. It's basically what we call the goals question metrics approach or OKRs in some companies. But basically, first of all, you need to have some strategy, some goals of why I'm doing this, what I, do, I want to achieve as a company, as an organization, as a team. Let's start by that. Then analyze those goals and put them into questions you can answer with numbers. I mean, I want to attract talent. How many new people is contributing to me, my projects that are not from my company? Easy, you can measure that. Then customize any existing tool to do that. You can customize Grimoire Lab from Chaos. You can customize your own thing. Remember, that takes time to do that. And also, you can report that. You need to report that to your managers, to your team. It depends how you want to, to achieve these goals. And this has a cycle. I don't know how many of you work with metrics. But if you put metrics in place and in front of people, people is going to cheat then. So metrics are nice to change behavior. When the behavior is changed, remove the metric and put another one. How many of you do running and stuff like that? You know how to cheat metrics, right? So basically, some examples of questions they, they have been solved with this. For example, they started to know okay, where people are coming to my community, to my projects. And they realized something that is, it's Uber, right? It's nice to see, OK, we are based in San Francisco. All the people is coming from San Francisco. They are hiring people in Portugal. If you are a Portuguese person willing to work in Uber, what's your thought? I need to be in San Francisco to be hired? So basically, they had decided to do an open source event in, I think it was in, Bel in Yugoslavia area, or yeah, it was Czech Republic, actually. Because they want one of the biggest engineering offices there, and they are planning to do more around Europe because they want to, okay, we don't want to be seen as a San Francisco. Oh, I, we know that we are a San Francisco startup, if you can call Uber and a startup, but okay, we need to engage more people from outside. Another example, for example, is how many projects are active? I mentioned before like 350, but actually it's half of them, only half of them are active. They are having some contributions. So then they, they are taking actions to check, OK, why these projects are not getting action? Because they don't have any documentation, because we are not publishing them. We are not ma making any marketing. Remember, marketing is important also for open source. It's not only about your Redmi. You have a lot, a lot of things to do. So basically, if it's key for you, they need to have these numbers to see if this gaining traction or not. Another way to get engagement is how many people from outside my company is doing their, their first contribution. This is a chart showing for the last five, ten years, because there are projects that they have released previously and stuff like that, but uh, it's showing the growth. And if you, uh, I don't know if you can see the numbers, but they were talking about 2,000 people com contributing. But that means that they have, like, each month now, they are around 60 people new contributing to the project. You can also check which of them keep be being active over time. It's another way to say, OK, I am retaining the community I am engaging. It's another metric that is important for them. Another way to look at this, and this could be a little bit tricky, is what we call the onion analysis in the sense of, I want to understand, OK, there are many people that come here. I don't know if you know Hacktoberfest, this thing that is happening now, paid by, sponsored by DigitalOcean. You do a pull request, and we will give you a t-shirt. So basically, people start contributing, and you see a lot of charts growing. Oh, the number of contributions are, but how many people regularly keep contributing to my project? Who are the people doing the 80% of the contributions to my project? 
because those are the core developers I need, or the core contributors, whatever area of the project they are contributing to, I need to take care of. Of course, I need to look at also which are the regular ones, the ones that are doing 15% of contributions, and also how people are changing from one bucket to the other, because things happen, family, and all other stuff, so that's very important. And then, of course, these casual contributors that keep coming, so basically the biggest bar for quarter, by each quarter represents how many people is doing 5% of the contributions for Uber projects. And you can look for all the infrastructure, but also by repository or, or by organization or whatever you decide. These are the things. These are, I, I, will you, I would like you to, to see these two numbers here. Basically, this is how they are dealing with issues and pull requests coming from outside the company. So basically, they want to know, okay, how fast I am dealing with issues and pull requests as a company in, open, in my open source projects. And they are closing them in around one hour for the last two years, I think. No, sorry, for one hour, for half a uh, quarter of a day, more or less. So, okay, good, we are fast enough. When it's someone from outside the, com the company, how we are reviewing their source code? How many iterations are needed? How fast are we dealing with that? Well, we can provide also measures about how long does it take to get the first answer to any issue or pull request. And the first answer, by first answer, I don't mean per people still asking, how is my thing going? How am I thing going? I mean, someone from out, the different person of the one that submitted the thing is trying to help here. So those, those are some examples of things that can be measured. These some things that we are working lately. Basically, this, this is about the footprint. And it was very interesting when we did this for, for Uber, because they wanted to know, OK, my, my people, where else are they contributing to open source? For many reasons. Don't think, about, don't think bad about, oh, I want to spy my people to see if they are going to change company. No, I want to know which projects are also important for me. And we did a very quick analysis about which other open source organizations are your people contributing to. And they realized that one of the biggest, the latest uh, year contributions are going, when they are not working on their own thing, they are working with projects like from Microsoft and Facebook. So I went to the team, and this is important. You need to have some context about what's going on there. And I said, OK, I've seen this. I've seen this data. These are facts. You need to explain me why. You can explain me sure why. OK. And basically, they say, oh, that's, that's interesting. That means that the people in my company that is working on, a, on one of our latest thing, that is a React library done in TypeScript, is contributing back to the React people in Facebook and to the TypeScript people in Microsoft to make that work as we want. And this is how the company is doing leadership. They don't need to go there and sign an agreement with Microsoft and Facebook. Oh, we are going to do this together. No, this is how open source works. You don't need to do that bureaucracy thing. You need to contribute following the policies of open source. This just already working. Um, just to recap, because we are running out of time, if you don't have an OSPO, you should. And you have some nice areas to work for documentation and help, of course. And of course, if you don't have an OSPO yet, eh, come on, think about that, because there are many issues that could be happening. We are in the news lately, a lot of reading, a lot of things about, oh, they have these security breaches, vulnerabilities happening, all this shit happens that we know. OK, having someone at the office taking some care of that will help. If you have any question, just please ask me. It's jsmanrique at viterja.com. Sorry, it's in the back, but I'm going to be around for the whole day. So, thank you very much. I think I am on time, right?
much for listening. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts so you never miss out in any of the episodes. Thanks again and see you next time.